0: good afternoon good morning good evening ladies and gentlemen wherever you are in your head today it is your boy C-I-Z-Z-Y, back at it again with another episode of the Voices of Value podcast, episode 179. Listen, baby, we roll in. Now, you already know we did more episodes than that, but that's just the ones we counting. So imagine the ones we didn't count. But not to be braggadocious, again, we're back with another episode, and like I always tell you, we're back with a fire guest, and all we do is fire guests, because fire guests do fire things, and fire things bring fire conversations, and at that point, we just call the fire department, and... Before I forget, we are at Leo Moreno Jr. Boxing Club in Overland Park, Kansas, not Missouri, Kansas. And if your son is struggling and they ain't got no hands, they're getting beat up at school right now, Leo Moreno Jr. Boxing Club. If you walk into the store to buy some lentils for your moms and somebody calls you to B word and you don't know how to respond, Leo Moreno Jr. Boxing Club. If you're feeling like your fitness is out of whack and you want to get some anger management tools, in your resource box, Leo Moreno Junior Boxing Club. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a guest, a specialist in the game of real estate. She got the game, she got the nice houses, she got the the, the sports and entertainment, she got the swag of the shoes, she got the drip of the nails, and she's actually actively taking Calendly meetings. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes, just I saying am. random shit at this point. Go ahead and introduce yourself <laughs> to the people, my friend.
1: I am Brittany. And I am a real estate agent. I've actually been in real estate for a couple of years, Um, but I've been in business before that. And I, you know, one of my favorite things to do is pair business, local business and real estate together. So it's
0: a sexy combination. It's It's my passion. Before we get any further, you once had a podcast. Could you shout out (laughs) your old podcast? Tell us when it's coming back. I was playing with you. But also I wanted to come back personally. And what was it about? Let's let's start there and then we'll dive into a little bit of your background before we transition into all the business and real estate talk.
1: Okay, so yes, I did have slash do have a podcast um called Co-Parenting Without Chaos. And it is about co-parenting. So
0: without chaos.
1: That part. So my ex-husband, um, it's his wife and I that do this podcast and ultimately we just go through and talk about our experiences, talk about how we do it, um, in such a cordial manner. And I mean, it's always been our number one priority to make sure that the kids are taken care of, that the kids are comfortable, that they don't have to feel like they're choosing between which parents, um, they didn't ask or to be in the situation of two households. Right. So yeah. we want to make it as comfortable as possible for them. And, um, I think there are so many parents out there that struggle with co-parenting and our arrangement is super weird for a lot of people like her and I are friends. Like I don't talk to my ex-husband because I don't have to, because I talk to her cause she's my friend. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, like, it's natural for us. It works for us. We all went on, like, this huge family vacation to Disney World together. I love it. Um, In... Yeah, it just it works.
0: What, what key principles or maybe character traits do you think are necessary for somebody to have the maturity to be able to do that? Because in my head, first off, I'm not a parent. So, again, I'm speaking from an ignorant standpoint. But in my head, I think something that probably gets in the way is just a lack of maturity and being able to, like, hold your pride, hold your jealousy, hold your anger for your ex-partner if there was anger there, um, which oftentimes there is, um, at, at bay to think about the children and the family first. So I guess maybe whether it's personally or maybe it's something you guys have already talked about on the podcast, what character traits or personality traits do you feel like are really key and integral to being able to have the maturity to be able to do what you guys have done?
1: Well, I think first it is important for me to say like our divorce wasn't some like terrible toxic thing. Okay, and our relationship wasn't like that. So um, people who are coming from a relationship that, like that yeah. has those types of things, like it will be ten times harder than of what course. we had to deal yeah, with, right? So I do want to always preface it with that because I don't want it's not like I'm out here trying to portray this, like, you know, foo-foo, it's all you figure you, it
0: all out, even though they're yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: like yeah, yeah. everyone's situation is so different. Mm-hmm. But and and to be frank, like I did not like his wife, like girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't a fan. She. She actually is the one who extended the olive branch um, because I guess her mom told her like, Hey, you have to get along with this woman. Like you might as well talk to her. Shout out to them. And she, she reached out to me on Facebook, sent me this long message and I was like, okay, fine. You can, we can chat and we were going to chat at Starbucks. And the Starbucks was like so busy. You couldn't even sit anywhere. And my townhome was right behind the Starbucks and so I was like, well, we can just go back to my town home. And she says it's on the podcast, but she was always like, I don't know. Like, why would I want to go back to this? <laughs> I know she hates me. Why do I want to go to her house? Um, <laughs> and we sat down and, and really, like, for me, it was the, like, I'm their mom. Don't take that from me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a motherly thing to feel, mm-hmm. you know? Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, like, I was... I mean, at the end of that conversation, I was like, look, we don't have to be friends. I don't want to be your friend. Not interested, but thanks, you know, and went about our way. But then we just came. I came around. I came around. I really had to maturity. Like that was a big thing for sure. Um, Being willing to compromise, being willing to be patient, like you have to do all of those things. Um and even in the I mean we don't agree on everything still right yeah. we can be friends but we don't agree on everything with the kids even you know and they but I will say we try really really hard to stick stick with each other so yeah. like if you know one of the kids has an issue with a grade or something and they enforce the punishment at their house Sometimes I might not agree with that punishment, Mm -hmm. but I do carry that over into our house because I want them to know, like we are all on the same team. You're not going to play us against each Mm -hmm. other or whatever. And that happens often when co-parents aren't on the same page. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's really real. I mean, I say it's really real only from perspective of watching movies, but it sounds sounds like it's really real. Um, No, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I did want to start it off with that because I feel like, I'm pretty sure aren't. didn't you say some of the episodes are still live?
1: Yeah, they're still all out there. Okay, perfect. Um, and I want
0: it and I want people to to go check that out. I just know way too many people who could benefit from some of the conversations you guys have on there. Plus I feel like you cool personality. So it makes it a little bit easier to listen to as well. So we'll definitely shout that out and put that link in the bio. Let's dial it back to, you know, 2005, young Brit, like, can I call you Brit or do it Brittany? That's fine. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, but let's dial it back to, to the young days. Where did you grow up? Whereabouts? And are you from Kansas city? Are you from Alaska? Are you from like Juniper? Like, Talk about the 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 upbringing and and what that kind of looked like, so we can kind of understand the roots of where you're coming from and how that ties into business and real estate.
1: Okay, so I've grown up in the Kansas City area since like fifth grade. Since about fifth grade, um, I
0: came. By the way, from- is that 2005? Because if it is, boy, I'm on top of it, y'all. My numbers 2005 are good.
1: Five in fifth grade. No I way. I was just I a sophomore.
0: <laughs> Damn, my bad. All right. Continue. Okay.
1: All right. Maybe I was a, no, I was a sophomore. No, I, graduated I, dark,
0: I just forgot you're the same age as my brother. So yeah. yeah all right. Okay. Go ahead. Continue.
1: But okay. So I actually like from, you know, birth pretty much to fourth grade. I lived in this really small town called Eldon, Missouri near the Lake of the Ozarks. I'm really glad that I didn't like fully grow up there. Cause my life would be very different.
0: You might own all the real estate in uh, the Lake of the Ozarks at this point. You never know.
1: Okay, okay. Do, but, <laughs> but continue, uh,
0: continue. Eldon, Missouri. Eldon, Missouri, right.
1: Okay, so moved up to Independence when I was in.
0: <laughs> By the way, that's that's what we have in common here mm-hmm. is uh, we both uh, spent a lot of time in Independence, Missouri. You know, love-hate relationship, continue.
1: Yeah. I went to William Christman for a couple of years, um, but fourth grade through my, through my sophomore year, I yeah. was in Independence. Mm-hmm. Went to Christman, and then I graduated from Oak Park moved up north. Um, And I, I've always been so thankful for my situation. My mom, she has always been an incredibly hard worker. Um, She's an entrepreneur, like she's just, she's incredible. Mm -hmm. And I've done my best to be incredible just like her, I guess. Right. So, and, and she's provided me so, so many opportunities growing up, um, that have allowed me to get to places that I don't know if I would have gotten there or if I, you know, or maybe my path would have been different. I don't know. Right. But, um, grateful for that for sure. I, I started out i had my own like i had my first little job you know at like sport clips doing like the cash <laughs> register and cleaning up hair um that was a good time but then i went to a company and worked for my mom for about a year two years um i ended up getting pregnant with my with my daughter um my mom decided to go out on her own and open up her own business. And so whenever my daughter was born, like I didn't go back to work for someone, I went back to work with my mom. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she always told me, like education was like super, super important to my parents growing up. And um, she told me like, look, you need to continue on, like get your masters because she went to school our whole life. Me and my brother, whole, you know.
0: Hustling. Gen- yeah. Degree after degree. Right.
1: Literally. She probably has like six. I don't, it's literally like five or six.
0: Hey. Yeah. Well, from, from me and your mom, I a hundred percent believe that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I, she was like, you, you really just need to keep going, finish your master's so you don't have to worry about any of your education while your kids are growing up. And I was able to work with her and go to school and take care of my kids, and, like, it was just a really, really fortunate circumstance, honestly. And I worked for her for, gosh, 10 years or so.
0: And what industry is this in at the time? Kind of explain what that business was and what were some skill sets that you learned or acquired or appreciated about your experience there, on top of, of course, the blessing of your mom being a hustler, creating an Mm -hmm. opportunity for you to be, you know— in a position where you have enough time to study for school and uh, school is already stressful in itself. So being able to make money, um, being able to go to school and being able to take care of your kids is already a challenge, even if it's put in the most easiest situation or the most hardest situation. So shout out to your mom, but I would love to know about the industry that she was working in and that you were working in and a little bit about the skills or, or I guess, job description for you. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So originally she started out doing healthcare management and consulting. Healthcare is her background. That's what she's always been involved in. So, um, we help private physician practices or independent physician practices stay independent from hospital systems if that's what they wanted to do. Because at the time, what does that mean? So a lot of, (laughs) at that time, a lot of, um, doctor's offices, like individual doctor's office were being bought up by these large hospital systems. Okay. So, I mean, it was a lot of competition out there and that kind of stuff. And so when these hospital systems were buying up all these practices, like it was hurting other independent practices. And um, so for those people, for those doctors who were like, I don't want to go work for a hospital system because they would then dictate their life, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, I really want to say independent, help me do that. That's what we did. We helped them try to do that. And,
0: and is, is that through like uh, optimizing processes, helping with sales to bring on more people, like just uh, improving Like I guess, yeah. A little bit more detail on what exactly that looked like.
1: So improving systems, helping with their um, like their practice management system. So some people were operating off of paper charts, mm, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like we need to digit digitize everything. And make sure that you're running the office in the most efficient way possible. Absolutely. So, and some of that also involved cutting costs, changing vendors, those types of things, managing payroll, um, overstaffing—always a problem, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, every I have a few clients who, you know, physicians in one way or another, whether it's immigration or helping immigrants get their physical health checkups, or whether it's optometrists, whatever. But every one of them have tried to. At one point in their life, like early on, launch a practice and the biggest mistake each one of them made that, well, at least specifically in this era, like, yeah, I just thought it would be good to have an office secretary and an assistant and probably to have two doctors under me. So I hired a lot of people way too fast, which was a terrible decision because I couldn't manage that. Plus, I was a first time business owner. And when I ended up having to close the doors two, three years later, now I feel terrible because I'm leaving these people without jobs and things like that so it's interesting that you mentioned that.
1: Well, and the other thing is a doctor goes to med school to be a doctor, not to run a business. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if um and not saying that they don't have the skill set to do so. They absolutely do. They don't have the time, you know? And so they're trying to take care of patients. Who's doing all the other stuff because when you run a business, there's paperwork, like so much paperwork. Right. And, um, I mean, people have human resource departments. So when you own a business, you are all those people. You are the marketing department. You are the human resource department. You're everything. You can't do that in medicine. Yeah. Like, you know, you literally are seeing patients all day long.
0: Mm-hmm. Back to back.
1: <laughs> right. So, um, so she would come in and take care of that management piece also, you know, help train people, help make sure that that office can run while the doctor sees patients and does the money generating thing that you have to do to survive,
0: mm-hmm. not get bought up and ate up by these large, if that's a whole topic, one day I'm going to have somebody that's like an administrator of like, I don't know, some Truman hospital or something to just talk about all the private equity and private buy-ups and huge buy-ups. Very interesting. I read about that one day. Mm -hmm. So interesting topic. So after 10 years working with her in that industry, what was next, I guess? What did you take from that, and what were you thinking in your head? Like, all right, I'm not – was it like, all right, I'm tired of this industry. I'm bored of it. Was it, hey, I want to go launch my own practice outside of my mom's practice, or I want to take over her practice, or – like, what was the mindset 10 years in? Because obviously you're in a different industry right now. Yeah. Um, so where did this uh, switch happen?
1: So, well, in between there, so mm-hmm. she did those things for healthcare facilities. And we realized that other businesses can benefit from those same services. So, and then we also threw in like bookkeeping mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So um, we helped launch new businesses, even, I mean, I did a lot of business plans. Um, and then we helped to do that back end work because again, a lot of small business owners, no matter what industry you're in, you get into business to sell a product, to provide a service, not to do secretary work or not to do administrative work. right? Right. So, that goes by the wayside, but that is the stuff that gets these small businesses in trouble every single year, especially mm. when it comes to tax time. Oh yeah. Cause oh, you yeah. didn't do what you were supposed to do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Me, me this year.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's hard though, you know, mm. and it's hard to balance all those things. So anyway, so we took, um, that aspect and would provide those services to small businesses. And she still does that. um, and actually my ex husband's wife
0: mm-hmm.
1: works with my mom.
0: Amazing. I love this.
1: <laughs> I so love like this we're more real deep about that whole co parenting right. and getting yeah. you know, happen, get along right. thing. Yeah.
0: Make it a family. If it's gonna be a family, make it one.
1: Right. All right. Um so anyway, so they still do that. But, you know, ultimately it was one of those things that I was like reaching a point where I was like, Okay, so I'm and I never wanted to take away from like like I did have some guilt switching over into real estate. Of course. Because I was like I'm here because my mom mm-hmm. like provided that way, right? Um but I also wanted something that was like mine mm-hmm. for myself. And I liked real estate. I always wanted to invest in real estate, do that kind of stuff. And so I was like why not? And I mean, if we're being honest, I waited like two years too long, um, because I missed the COVID boom. So yeah, there's that, but it's okay. So I got into real estate at one of the hardest times I feel like.
0: And and why do you say that?
1: Um, interest rates were going up. People were like the, the whole COVID boom thing, like it was done.
0: It was over. So let's 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 get real granular here in this part. So when you say COVID boom, what is what what do you mean by that? Where where uh, a lot of people buying houses, where things cheap? Like just break that down for one hundred and one for dummies book. Imagine this is one of those one hundred and one books, and you're breaking it down for somebody who doesn't know shit about what happened or about real estate period. So when you say the COVID boom and you missed that, what did you miss? So
1: interest rates were lower than they've ever been. Right. So there's actually, there was a study out and I mean, don't like totally quote me on this, but I mean, it was, I think it was like 90% of people who own a home today have an interest rate less than, I think it's like 5% or less than like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what that stat is, but the point is, is interest rates were so low. And when you bought during that period, I'm talking like two and a half, three 3% wow. interest rates. Okay. Yeah. No one sees that. And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know that we'll ever see that again. So the interest rates were really low. People were buying houses. The competition out there, though, was insane. I mean, which means people were going in and offering $50,000, dollars $70,000 more than what houses mm-hmm. were
0: worth. Mm-hmm. So... Because of the competition. So it's like you yeah. you could have been taking Ws if you got if you got in there early on, but you also could have took an L because the competition is so high and the value of that property really isn't as valuable as what you're about to pay for it. So you pay 50000 above asking just so you can be the person because there's that much competition going back and forth. Now the COVID dies down and you realize the real value in that property. I, I wonder how many people came out of that happy or unhappy, but I'll let you continue to elaborate.
1: I will say there are some people who have that like buyer's remorse, you know? Um, But so, so that is the buy side of it, right? There were so many people spending crazy amounts of money on houses, but if you were a seller, you made a crap ton of money. Mm -hmm. And then those people rented or whatever, stockpiled all that extra crap cash that they just made out of those houses, and then about I don't know. It's probably been two years ago by now. I don't even know. COVID felt like it was that was probably like five it years is, ago at this it point. right? was really confusing. It started? At this I don't point. even know. I'm it started in the twenty. Timeline. It
0: started in this time of year in twenty twenty. Yeah. So four years.
1: Okay. So um. So then after. Things started to die down a little bit all those people that had stopped sold their house stockpiled that cash then they enter the market
0: mm.
1: and they're beating out all of these i don't want to call them regular buyers but traditional buyers that are going to go the mortgage route that are going to and just throwing down cash like hundred thousand dollars cash or paying two hundred thousand dollars for the house or you know, whatever they had to do because they had stockpiled all that cash over this, you know, amount of time. So then, so then it was hard to buy a house for a traditional buyer during that time. I had a client who was a very qualified buyer. Price point was great. Um, It was a competitive price point. It was between 350 and 400,000. And we probably saw 40, 50 houses it was insane. We were looking for nine months, I think. And I mean, we submitted 10 offers and we finally got the 10th one. And it wasn't because, you know, certain things, like certain things can come up, you know, if you're, um, if you aren't necessarily, I I don't want to say not qualified because if you're out there shopping for a house and obviously you're qualified, um, pre-approved for a mortgage, but, but he had a lot of money down. He had, um, he was willing to, um, like work with sellers mm-hmm. to do whatever they needed. Right. Like in terms of close day, possession day, like just willing to negotiate whatever. And we lost out to people who had cash, they had saved up.
0: At the end of the day, the money to talk. Cash talks. Yeah, it's interesting to see how like cycles, like impact the next cycle. If that makes sense, so sure. something happens, it causes this to happen. Whether it's you know uh, uh, sellers win or sellers lose or buyers win or buyers lose, but then because of that, two years later it causes this to happen on the flip side. And then every action has a reaction, essentially, you know, the cliche saying, so it's really interesting to see how that works in real estate before, before we move forward. Um, again, back to the, like the one-on-one for dummies, break down why interest rates are important when it comes to buying a home and like what that impacts once you own the home. So, well, you know, for somebody who literally all they know is I want to buy a house and I've been working to save money, but that's all. They don't know anything else. So why does it matter when you buy and where the interest rates are at, at that time?
1: Okay. So there's this saying in real estate, and I will say, like, there are a lot of people who absolutely hate this saying, but you date the rate, you marry the house. Okay. So for us during that time, when interest rates climbed up to seven, 8%, which wasn't that long ago, it was just a minute ago. And now they're starting to kind of trickle down a little bit. Um, but if you could afford the payment, it it's okay to jump I want to say jump into, but it's okay to buy a house if you can afford the payment. Because interest rates will go up and down. Mm-hmm. And there's always the option to refinance. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, the interest rate on your house, like if you jump in at a 7% interest rate and you keep that and you and you live in that house for 30 years, you paid off that mortgage, you paid a lot of money in interest, right? But most people, well, first of all, most people don't live in a house for 30, the life of their mortgage. right? That's first of all. Second of all, if you do, most of the time you're going to refinance, you're going to do something because there are certain... Points where you can get money back for, um, home improvements or, you know, cash up front, even pulling equity out of your home. So there's a lot of different options there. So getting in at 7% doesn't, like I said, if you can afford the payment, that doesn't really matter. And in people who, um, and and well, I wouldn't say most people know that not everyone does know that, but they get scared. But also, can you imagine having a 3% interest rate and selling your house and buying at 7%?
0: Yeah.
1: That would hurt.
0: Chaotic, right.
1: <laughs> like I was like, "Oh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really want to do it, mm-hmm. even though I tell people like, "Yeah, but when interest rates fall, you just refinance and you're you're back on track again." So, so
0: essentially what I'm hearing is they might people might be saying, "Oh, it's a terrible time to buy because interest rates are high." But the reality is, at the end of the day, if you like the house and you can afford the interest rate, then it's not that big of a deal because later down the line, there's other options you can take advantage of that kind of, I guess, uh, deduct the negativity of, of the interest rate being high. Like you said, if the interest rates go down, there's opportunity to refinance or other. Is that what I heard? Correct. Yeah. And
1: also this is, this is the other thing about the interest rate, right? So, so let's say you're going to the industry is 7% and you're like, nah, I don't want to do that." Home values historically, if you look at the chart of home values since the beginning of time, they are not going down. People, now there have been dips. Obviously, we know there was a housing crisis in 2008 Eight, and yeah. yeah th- there have definitely You would remember that. <laughs> There have definitely been things.
0: <laughs> I need to chill. I'm sorry, y'all. I am sorry you all i mean to disrespect her on TV. No. That, I'm fucking with you. No, no,
1: <laughs> um. So there are certain dips in housing prices, right? But people expected the housing market
0: to crash.
1: That's what they expected to happen. It hasn't. I I don't think it will. Obviously, I don't have any crystal ball. I don't. Right,
0: like, of course. And it's who knows, so, right? it's we so don't know. difficult to be able to estimate if that's going to happen. Yeah. Right.
1: But that's not what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And um so so you can wait on that interest rate, but let's say you are having a 7% interest rate on a $350,000 house, okay? Then you choose to wait it out. Now you're at a 5% interest rate. But that same house is a 400,000
0: mm-hmm. or
1: 425.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're going to eat the cost somewhere. It, yeah. yeah.
1: So that's why we say if you would afford the payment, Buy the house you want, because that house is going to continue to to go up in value,
0: Absolutely. and that's what we've seen. When, when's the time? When's the wrong time to buy a house? Like, like genuinely? Because what? Basically, the first thing I hear from people is like wrong time to buy is if the interest rates are high. But you kind of just in my head broke that belief. Like, essentially, if I can afford the payment and I like the house, then go ahead and secure the bag. Because the, the home value is going to go up. Interest rates might change. I can refinance. So it's like, if you really love the house, like you said, marry the house. Um. So when is genuinely like, hey, this is probably just no, don't buy. It. Don't buy it right now.
1: That honestly just has everything to do with personal finances, personal budget. There's a lot of things, like a lot of upfront costs that people that I found that first time homebuyers don't know about. And those are? Well, So we have the um, earnest money, which is like a down payment, right?
0: Hilarious, because in my notes, I was going to ask you, what is earnest money? So break that down quickly and then continue.
1: So it's like a deposit. It's like a good faith deposit. Like, hey, I want to buy your house. This earnest money is typically, I would say, like a $1,000 is like a typical amount of earnest money on a house that's probably like three fifty and less. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once you start getting up there, sometimes people ask for like, um, 1% of purchase price yes. up front. Okay? Gotcha. So that's a deposit that you put down
0: 1% of $10 million. You know, we just prepare visualizing mm-hmm. visualize it for a future home, but now continue. Continue. Yeah.
1: yeah. So this, um, this earnest money, if you back out of the contract without cause you forfeit this money, most of the time. Now, there are, there are also certain circumstances where it can be negotiated, like in those crazy times, where that earnest money is non-refundable. It doesn't matter what happens. If you back out for any reason, even if it's for cause, you, you lose it.
0: Essentially, like when you pay your security deposit in an apartment, and you leave at the eight-month mark instead of 12, and they're like, sorry, you ain't getting this back, and you're getting charged a fee for the rest of the four months. So, yeah. Got you. So Except the, you don't have the rest of the four yeah. months. To but yes, just to... That was to help Collis process what you're saying. Continue.
1: So the earnest money is just that deposit on the house. Mm-hmm. Now that earnest money goes towards your down payment though at okay. close That's far. So that's mm-hmm. important for people to know because they're like, Oh, I have to put up that on top of, You know? Mm-hmm. Well then after that though, we have the inspection. Mm-hmm. You have to pay for the inspection out of your pocket. It's generally 400 to $600. Um, there are a million different types of inspections there's some standard inspections that we do like a general radon and like a sewer inspection. Those are kind of like the three main inspections people typically do. Um, There is a laundry list of inspections that you could do on a home. And then you have the appraisal. So that typically happens after the inspection to make sure nothing happened during the inspection. Um, The appraisal happens. That's usually about $600 or so, but it differs with price points. Um, sometimes lenders will allow that to be paid at close and part of that. But I always tell people be prepared to pay for it up front. Like I had to pay for my appraisal up front when I bought my house. Um, and then after that you have closing costs, which is like three to 5% sometimes 3000 to $5,000 closing
0: costs. Like, I guess where where does that money go? Like title, title, title fees,
1: transfer of property, The deed work, like everything behind the scenes that's happening when the contract process, administrative stuff, those types of things are closing costs that buyers have no clue about.
0: So buyers are buying the house plus like these five add-ons, essentially. Mm -hmm. So do the sellers of a home have a similar experience or is the sellers just a win-win? Because I feel like you're buying a house, sure, it's exciting, but like also there's kind of like that feeling of like, ugh, Like got to pay the appraisal, got to pay the inspection, got to, got to pay the earnest money. Is there on the flip side for like somebody who's selling a home? What is, what is, what's their responsibilities? Like, is there any, just for any listeners out there who Mm -hmm. are looking to sell their house? Like, is there a whole bunch of money that they're going to have to pay or do they just kind of sit back and wait for the offers to come in?
1: Okay. So before I jump, in, no no worries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Continue.
1: I want to say that, that earnest money we talked about at the beginning So if something happens during the inspection, if something comes back that you're not happy with as a buyer and you can't renegotiate terms to remedy that situation and then you back out, you get that money back. Gotcha. Generally, unless you decide to do a non-refundable no matter what type of thing, the appraisal, if it doesn't come back at the appraised value, if it comes back over the appraised value, congratulations, you have automatic equity in your home. If it comes back under appraised value, um, you have to make up that difference if mm. you are, if you are doing a mortgage because a mortgage company is okay. not going to lend you more that. money than it's I worth. I
0: don't get that part. I to Just go a little bit deeper in that. I don't get what you mean by that. So, if it's appraised at under under what you're selling it, so okay. let's say
1: I give you, so I offer to pay three hundred fifty thousand dollars for your house. Yes. An appraisal appraiser comes in and he says this house is worth three twenty five. Well, that's $25,000 difference. Mm-hmm. A lender is only going to lend you the three twenty five because that's what it is worth.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So
1: you have to either come up with that additional 25000 if you really want that house, mm, which okay. people up. did back in, in the, the day, right?
0: specific time, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: But, um, or you can renegotiate that and tell the seller, like, hey, look, they said there's not even worth it, so you're going to yeah. have to come down and meet me here. And
0: most people, you can negotiate, and most people negotiate their way there, but if they don't, then if you wanted that bag, you got to come up with the bread. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Fit. Continue.
1: But if you cannot work it out there, you would have the opportunity to get that earnest money back, that gotcha. deposit. Okay. But guess what? You lost out on the inspection money mm. and the appraisal money, mm. so it's costly. I mean, that costs a $1,000, so you might get that.
0: So if the person who you, you went through, careful. you sent 10 offers through. Yep. Is that a situation they had to pay over and over again?
1: You only pay the earnest money when you're when you're under contract, when it's been accepted. Your offer's been
0: accepted. What about the rest of the things, the appraisal, the inspection? After you're under contract. Okay, got you. So you submit an offer, then... If the offer's accepted, now you're under contract. Now yes. you have to go through all those processes. Yes. Okay. I was just clearing that up because I was like, damn, feel bad for whoever that was. That yeah. was- <laughs> no, 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 no. I no. still feel bad. Ten offers and nine months. Right. His but, heart was yeah. hurting, and
1: so was mine for him. Uh, yeah, I absolutely. don't like that. I hate mm-hmm. that. But um, but yeah, so then, you know, you have your down payment, but then on the sell side, typically it has been the it has been what happens most of the time but the sellers take care of commissions to a real estate agent
0: okay which is the 2 uh, to th- 2 to 2
1: to 3% so commissions are negotiable okay um there is like a general number that people usually hear um but they are negotiable and It's also technically negotiable of whether or not the seller pays those commissions. Mm. Like I said, it's been like standard practice. Like that's just how.
0: So imagine they didn't want to pay those commissions, then who would pay it?
1: So then that would go to the buyer. Mm. They could potentially be responsible for paying the commissions on that house.
0: Interesting. Interesting. But that doesn't happen often.
1: It's not something we see.
0: Okay, good. I was about to be like, damn, these buyers just paying a lot of money. I don't I'm starting to not want to buy a house. <laughs>
1: yeah. So that's kind of where like the scales mm-hmm. I guess balance out, but I mean, depending though, the sellers, I mean, com- commissions can sometimes be more than
0: everything else that the buyer had the
1: other stuff. It just depends. But there's on also the, programs the also and stuff on for buyers. the price of the house. Yeah. Got you. Exactly. It's all dependent upon the price of the house. <laughs>
0: So we're, okay, so let's dive into, I'm sure there's thousands of other things we could cover for people who are looking to buy or sell houses, but sorry, we ain't got enough time (laughs) for all that. So um, what I want to talk about is, I guess, um, outside of commissions, is there any other areas that the real real? okay, is it called real estate agent or salesperson or realtor? Realtor. Okay, so what other areas do realtors... How else do realtors make money outside of the commission upon selling or helping someone buy? Actually, let's start there. I'm very familiar with hiring a realtor to help you find a house, buy a house, and then the seller pays the commission. I understand that. What about the flip side of you helping somebody sell a house? Is there anything different there? I guess, what are the processes that are different between a seller's agent and a buyer's agent? What's the difference between the two, especially on the financial compensation side of it? Um, If that question made sense.
1: Seller would still pay the agent commission. Mm -hmm. Um, On the sell side, it's a lot about coordinating, like for an agent, like I do a lot of coordinating on the sell side. Right. So like buyers, you have to actively get in there, show up houses. You could show up 25, you could show two and they might want one. Right. So with sellers though, a lot of that is the process of setting up marketing, photography, videography, those types of things to market their home. Um, and then obviously all that runs in the background when you're, when you're marketing their home as soon as they go live. Um, but also just being able to pull comps and help them determine the value of their home, that's a big deal. Um, with the different markets that we've experienced, you sometimes have sellers that think their home is worth one thing when we're not really in that market anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that part is, I mean, it's a lot, it's all about managing relationships, but that sell side is about really building that trust and confidence in, in the data that we have to provide, to to make sure that your house sells for what you want, but also. What makes sense. Yeah. What makes sense. And if you want your house sold in, Five days we have to price that accordingly it has mm-hmm. to be priced super competitively if you're okay like i'm not in a rush i really want the most for my house and that's your priority we might price it a little bit higher if that's what you desire knowing that it might hang out a little bit longer on the market
0: is it common for people to like start working with the seller's agent three to four years before they're looking to sell their house like just so they can like really like you know be patient but oh shit this is the year where everything's looking good for sellers people who are trying to sell let's go after it right now but at least they have a relationship ahead of time or do people just tap in once you know whenever it feels like the right oh all right i need to sell my house now i mean i guess obviously it's gonna range some people want to sell their house now some people are trying to make a lot of money off it some people don't give a shit so i don't know if that question makes sense but do people typically work with the seller's agent like super, super duper early on, like in advance, like a year, two years in advance of when they actually plan to sell?
1: Look, the bottom line is I can list, I can meet with you and I can have your house listed on the MLS in seven days. Mm-hmm. That's all the time I need. If you were like, oh man, this market is really taking the upswing or oh man, this drop in interest rates, I need to go ahead and put my house on the market because I am I know that there's going to be an influx of buyers we can do that in seven days. It just depends. I i mean, I don't, in my personal experience, I haven't had people, I've had people say like, you know, I think I want to sell my house like in six months, but we don't necessarily, I mean, so much can happen in six months in a real estate market. So it's not one of those things that it's like, I mean, we stay in touch, right? Like, I know that you want to sell your house in six months, so I'm going to keep reaching out to you and giving you information about, hey, you know what? I think now might be a good time if you're ready because A, B, and C.
0: Yeah, and those A, B, and Cs, what are you paying attention to? What software, what news articles, what uh, newsletters are you subscribed to? What YouTube channels are you watching as a um, as an agent to, like, just get information to know what you should be communicating with your clients or potential clients. Um, what are you paying attention to? Who are you listening to? Are you like watching CNBC every day to like see what they say about the real estate market? Like, what does that look like for you in terms of staying up to date about the industry?
1: I'll be honest. I am not a news watcher because it's so depressing to me.
0: Absolutely is.
1: Yeah. So I like don't watch the news. Um, but we have a lot of resources and like I'm on a team. I'm my broker just Keller Williams, but I'm on a team and we have so many resources within our team. We have a mortgage broker that really helps us stay connected with the interest rates with things going on in terms of programs out there that might be available to first time home buyers or um, low down payment options or um, closing cost cover, you know, different things that are available out there to help buyers get into the market who are kind of like teetering, right? So just utilizing the resources, being able to participate in trainings that take place in our industry, whether it's like a local thing with our brokerage or um, like I am part of Keller Williams Sports Entertainment. And so we have specific trainings aimed at, that level of clientele, that level of interaction connecting with, um, people who will, will benefit that clientele, you know? And so just networking, it's so big. That's literally the biggest piece. And that's the biggest way I learn. Um, we also have like a regional association that we're a part of that puts out news constantly, um, about the real estate market about home prices, about interest rates, like those are the two, interest rates and home prices are the two biggest things that people talk about when it comes to real estate, I would say.
0: Okay. And so we talked about this when we went to coffee one time where you were breaking down like the the brokerage and then teams inside a brokerage and then a a team under that team and then that team who has a team at other brokerages in other states, like, Um, to the best of your abilities, from what you remember about that conversation, could you kind of re-break that down? So let's start at the level of the brokerage, um, and then just take it all the way down to somebody who just gets hired at a, at at a, at at a, what is it called? A brokerage. (laughs) So
1: as an agent in the state of Missouri, like you have to be under a brokerage, Mm -hmm. um, coming out like after you get your license you have to hang your license at a brokerage at the bare minimum so
0: is this at all times just to clear that up like all for your whole career
1: like i don't you know how like if you well i don't know if you know this but like if you go to barber school Mm -hmm. you get your license the state mails you your license you hang your license yes I don't ever get to see my license. It goes directly to my brokerage. They have it in some like little secret space. I don't get to hang my gotcha, little license. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I was really sad about that by that the way, kind but of depressing, whatever key, it's but, fine. Sorry.
0: It's like, I worked hard for that. Um. <laughs> wherever it's at.
1: <laughs> right. Wherever it is. I don't know, but no. So we have the brokerage and then you can choose to be a solo agent, but the support is what is the main factor that differs from being on a team. Mm-hmm. So You can be on a team. Um, My team in particular, I have an entire administrative staff that helps me with marketing, that helps me with contract work, that helps me with um, like a concierge service. You know, if my client is selling their house and they're like, yeah, but I need a painter because I really need to get a couple things. We got that. Like, you know, so my team has all the resources that any of my clients would need on the buy or sell side, sell side. Um, and for me, that is a bigger advantage than being a solo agent and having to figure out your own systems and your own, you literally do everything yourself. Yeah. You get a higher commission. You put in a lot more Work, I don't, I mean, that sounds like I don't put in work. I put in a lot of work, but, but I'm saying like, it's very, very, I mean, there's so many legal things re- around like contracts and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't That's terrifying. That, right? yeah.
1: <laughs> like, you know, and so I'm thankful. Like, obviously I know our contracts. I know how to read them. I know how to explain them, but to have a team of people that are second, third, four, fourth eyes on those things. That brings me
0: security. (laughs) So it sounds like, okay, so you have uh, a brokerage, Mm -hmm. a brokerage. As soon as you get your real estate license, you have to hang your license up somewhere. So say a friend is like, you should go to Keller Williams, uh, this location, because they have a really good team there and a nice office to work out of or, you know, run your business out of or whatever. So you're like, okay, I'm a, Go there. And then that's where the whole Facebook post, I've announced to my, I'm going to be joining this team Definitely. over here, right? So now you're on that team. With that team, each team has a different level of resources. So yeah. some teams might have a shit ton of resources, like you just mentioned. Other teams might just have three out of the 20 resources. It just all depends on your team and who's leading that team and who has, you know, the relationships they have. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. And then if you do decide to be a solo agent, you're pretty much running the show by yourself, but under a uh, under a brokerage, you get a higher profit or a higher commission, AKA higher, more money. Um, but on the flip side, there's a lot more work involved. And so it can kind of slow you down. So from what I heard from the conversations, when we were discussing at the coffee shop is the reason that you choose to have this team and, and, and all these resources and work with the team and yes, take a less commission is the amount of volume that you can generate, um, is a lot higher or likely to be higher If you have a team that can support you with writing everything up, uh, writing contracts, having things back to you the next day, running the number, running all these things so you can just be out there selling, 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 building relationships, building relationships, whereas others might be tied up for, you know, 20 hours of their 40 hours that they have to dedicate to their business doing paperwork whereas you have 40 hours of the 40 hours you have I'm just using 40 but um, to dedicate straight to building relationships sales generating more volume is that correct kind of like the thousand percent and then you end up not being so far behind the solo agent in terms of commission because you have so much more volume yeah got you okay
1: you have the ability to generate more business if you're out there in the field doing that instead of in the office doing paperwork.
0: Absolutely. I love that. I feel like that was important to explain just in short for anybody who's out there looking to become a realtor to kind of think about the route they want to go and the the wins and losses or benefits and less beneficial aspects of the two. Yeah. Um, so what I, what I want to know is how should new realtors approach their first year in business? Because I think sometimes people forget That yes, there are all those opportunities to work on a team and be one of the people that help you with, uh, you know, finding painters or and then you get paid, you know, like a job. Mm -hmm. So that's another way to be in real estate for people who are looking for the large commissions, selling the big house, the grandiose aspects that we see on TV. Um, people forget that the first few years uh, can be pretty challenging from a financial standpoint and from a you know, getting business. Can you talk a little bit about? how you've worked through that process and continue to, because you're still early in the process as well. We're year three now, year four, two. two. Yeah. Year two. Mm-hmm. So talk about, it's like, you know, how have you approached that? How do you suggest others approach it? Should you be like, all right, keep your job until you hit this amount or talk about that a little bit. Okay. Your so your opinion, of course, there's so many different routes. One could go, but your opinion
1: for sure. And I'm telling you, TikTok tells like
0: shout out, tick TikTok, <laughs> shout out
1: <to> TikTok. <laughs> but TikTok It's, I am always seeing the, these agents on there that are like, I made this many million dollars in my first year, which first of all, it probably wasn't what their take home pay was. They probably sold that volume, but take home pay is very different from which confuses me.
0: So we're going to talk about that. Uh, keep going. Not sorry, yet, but I'm keep going. Yeah. But, um,
1: so that's one thing. But also, I mean, my everyone's journey is so different, Right. And being in real estate, one of the most important things about real estate is building relationships, networking, right? If you go into real estate and you don't have a network, it's going to be very tough for you. You're not a people person, wouldn't recommend it. Now, I will say I am very introverted. So it is kind of weird for me. It's, you know, It was starting out and it was harder. Um, but you just, I don't know, you figure it out, you know, but... Mm-hmm. The I actually had money saved up that I had just had in my savings account and I lived off of that for six months before I got my first real estate deal. Took me six months to get my first deal and it was hard, but it's like you stick that you you have to be committed to it. That's one thing in real estate. I was teetering between my mom's company and real estate. Like, you know what, maybe I just need to do both because I really need a paycheck every two weeks, but you know, I really want to do real estate. And ultimately I wasn't producing in real estate the way I wanted to. And I had to make the decision. Like I have to a hundred percent commit to this. And I know financially that means something for my savings account, particularly Right. And I, I lived off of that for, for six months until I got my first deal. And then I had several months in a row where it was just like things were happening. It was awesome. It was great. I had some really good opportunities, some really good connections. Um, And then it like went dead for probably four months. And again, I was like, oh my gosh, like how do people even survive doing this? And I had so many thoughts going through my head, you know, but I, again, I just went back to like, I know this is what I want. I can't imagine doing anything different. So I have to figure it out. And my, it's called lead gen, lead generation in real estate, whatever, but probably just in sales in general. And, um, I had to figure out what worked for me. I, you know, we have throughout the history of time, real estate agents have done the whole door knocking thing. We've done the mailers. Um, we do what are called pop buys, which is kind of whats with Same door knocking. A door <in array>. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's like the more modern version, I would say. Um, but like for me, social media was like my thing. I really, really wanted to do social media. Oh, and there's like open houses and stuff. And I said that with a terrible face, so I'm sorry for everyone who loves an open house, but it was so hard for me. Like that was one of the things I tried to do at the beginning and it was okay, but I guarantee you 90% of agents out there would tell you like we don't, like open houses aren't as popular as they used to be. And so I would be sitting on a Saturday for Three hours and no one would show up. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a, that wasn't a good use of my time, right? you know? And so anyway, so I was like, okay, what works for me? What do I enjoy doing? Cause I didn't enjoy door knocking. I knew that wasn't for me. I did not enjoy cold calling. I hated that. Social media was what I enjoy doing. So I made videos and the world is on social media, you know? Most of my deals have come from referrals, have come, like people I know, my, my sphere of influence, my SOI is what we call it, um, people I know. But some of those people, like I hadn't talked to in a while, but because I was throwing out all that, those videos and stuff on social media and they knew I was an agent, they would message me or they would call me or text me or whatever. And I sold them houses. You Know so it's like because you know, I think everyone probably has people on their Facebook page that they haven't talked to since high school or I don't know 10 years, ago. I don't know, like
0: a long time ago, right, right? right?
1: But still, those people will sometimes end up in your inbox, like yeah, they're once you watching, have something going on. they're
0: watching at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah. And, that, and and that doesn't have to be a negative. I think, uh, I think if you're a business professional, you know, that's a positive thing. It's like the more eyes you have on you. The better. And yep. so then it's just about how am I providing value? How am I providing information? How am I letting them know what I'm doing and the the experience that I have and the knowledge that I have so that they feel invested to want to holler at me when that time to buy or sell comes? And especially I think one thing you pointed out there is like before someone becomes a realtor, I really think it's probably important for them to sit down look at all like the marketing and lead gen strategies that are out there and identify one that they know when they become a realtor, they're going to go all in on. And better yet, start going all in on it as early as you can, especially if it's the social media. It's like you can start creating fun content around homes like in Mission Hills that you find to be cute. And you don't got to say nothing about being a realtor because you're not a realtor yet. You can just be like, I love this house growing up, creating content about that over time. Then you become a realtor. Now you can start sharing more things about home, but you already built this persona around she likes houses. She likes homes. She knows about homes. She knows about the history of neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. So I think, I think that's really fun to point out. Uh, because we're short on time, I want to cover one last thing. And this one last thing is what are some of your favorite resources, whether it's books, podcasts, um maybe it's a friend uh that's in the industry um that posts content or sends out emails or takes meetings coffee meetings maybe it's even yourself um what resources do you really find to be valuable for realtors in general but let's just say specific to new realtors what what resources would you suggest they acquire or look towards
1: oh that's a tough one i mean very tough one <laughs> honestly i would just say other Realtors, other people in the industry that have like the real life experience, because you can find a lot of stuff on the internet and some of it's for the internet. Mm -hmm. Like that's not real life. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Like it's not real life. Um, I've and this is one thing like I'm super big on. There are some, like, I do not care to share information. If you want to become a realtor, please, like I will help you. Mm -hmm. I'll help you get your license for free. Like, I don't mind sharing the knowledge. I believe there's enough stuff for all of us out here. Honestly, there's enough work for everyone. Um, there are so many people who wanna like, no, this is my knowledge, I'm not gonna share it because it takes away from my pocket. Nah. I think I think we can all work in the same situation. There's
0: fucking a yeah. houses, right? Yeah, they don't go
1: anywhere. They're just gonna build they're some gonna more.
0: Build some more, right.
1: Yeah. So I don't ever get caught up in that. Um, so I think finding an agent that is okay kind of mentoring you. I've had people ask to like shadow me. Sure, shadow me. Like, I don't care. That's fine, you know? And like I said, like, I, I'll i help people get their um, real estate license. And I do need to drop this little gem here because I wish I would have known about it. But you can actually, let's say you don't want to be a real estate agent full time. Um, you can actually get your real estate license put it in referral status. If you refer somebody to me, we can have, we can negotiate a percentage of my commission that you get. And the only thing you did was say, Hey, Hey. Brittany, so-and-so wants to buy a house. That was your role in that. And I can pay you a commission on that. If you, as a non-agent said, hey, Brittany, so-and-so wants to buy a house. I can't pay you a commission because mm-hmm. commission is only allowed to be exchanged between brokers. Yeah, yeah. So that's like a passive income source, really. Mm-hmm. And And so if you have a good network, leverage that. Like you can, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity out there.
0: I love it. I love it. I'm glad you shared that because that was one thing I planned on asking you to reshare and totally forgot. So good at, Good on you. Yeah. Um, before we sign out today, let them know where they can find you. I know that recently you posted, hey, you're, you're welcoming coffee dates mm-hmm. or coffee connections, should I say, um, mm-hmm. clearly. Uh, <laughs> but, but <they're>, right. <laughs> taken. Um, um, but what's it called? Please share where they can find you how they can connect with you and how they can learn from you if they're interested in getting into the real estate industry.
1: So buying and selling underscore with underscore Brit is my Instagram. Instagram has the contacts to every other social media channel that I have. I do have a YouTube um, living like a local. So again, pairing real estate and local business, super important to me. I love promoting local business. So that's one of those things that I try to do in real estate. Um, A lot of my videos, I try to discover new spots and share those with people too. So um, definitely follow me on Instagram, YouTube, all of those things. Um, And yeah, if you're interested in buying, selling, if you're interested in becoming an agent, um, if you just want to have a coffee connection to network, like totally down with that, maybe you provide a service or something that I can refer to my clients. So yeah, totally. I love networking. I love building relationships. So I
0: love it. I'm love up for all of it. I love it. Shout out to Britt for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Thank shake you. Up, shake up. It's your boy ci finishing yet another fire episode with the queen. Follow her. Follow me. Follow the podcast. And more importantly, put some lotion on your knees. <laughs>